right. Will you pray with me as we start this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are in our lives. We praise your name as the amazing creator who loved his creation so much that when we destroyed our relationship with you, you didn't give up on us. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, into into his creation to model for us a life of intimate relationship with you. Then he died on the cross, taking all of our sins upon himself, paying the price for them, so that we could once again re-enter that relationship with you. We thank you for that. We thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit leads us and guides us through all the different twists and turns of our lives as they uh, that our lives take, really. Father, we, we set this time apart to worship you and to focus on your word. Lord, and as we do that, will you open our hearts and our minds? As we listen, will you speak to us this morning? You know exactly what each of us needs to hear from you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will fill my words with your power this morning. For without them, or without it, your, my words are just words. They're nothing more. Lord, we want your will done today in our time together this morning and in our lives. And we dedicate this time to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So last week, we started our new series, the series that I'm calling, What's New? And we looked at the new you. We talked about how each of us was made, um, is made new in and through a relationship with Christ Jesus. And it all starts with realizing that our, our natural state of existence is, is one that is distorted and corrupted by sin, and that the only... The only way that that can change or we can become new is through asking Jesus for forgiveness and inviting him to live in our lives and to guide our lives as he continues to make us a new creation. The creation God desires each of us to be as the new you. When we have Christ in our lives, he is the Lord of this new creation. And and it's a continual process of of working, of reshaping, and and of removing parts of our old lives, the parts that were distorted or corrupted. And the result is this new life that, that is gradual but obvious, and that it's new, it's different than our old lives. And we find that this process that we all take, this journey, is, is most successful when it's done in the setting of a community of other people who are working through the same process in their own lives. We commonly call these communities churches. Becoming part of a church community is extremely important for a Christian because it is in this community that we find accountability, encouragement, and fellowship as we journey through each of our own processes of becoming the new you that God wants us to be. The natural next step in this process or in this sermon is to now look at the new church. We looked at the new you, and now we're going to look at the new church. You're going to find that as we go through the series, the circles are just going to get bigger. We started with you, 
and you, and you, and you. Start with you, and now we're going to talk about you, the, the collective you, us. But have no fear when you hear the title of this sermon, The New Church. I'm sure that some of you are instantly concerned that I'm going to propose some a bunch of crazy new theories on how church should function, or, or maybe I'm going to propose some new ministries that we now have to tackle. Or even worse, I might possibly suggest that the priorities of our current ministries might need to change. I know that some of you are thinking it. Because I would be thinking it. I assure you that will that I will not propose any new ministries, uh, and I'm I'm not even going to mention changing any of our current ministries. Today, I want to propose to 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 you that that for us to see the new church, then we must look back at the church that's in the Bible. We must look at how the church of the New Testament functioned. And some of the instructions given to us on what this community that we are a part of should look like. I think that the first place that we have to start our journey this morning is is to understand several elements of that first church immediately following Jesus' ascension. Directly following that ascension into heaven, all the followers of Jesus returned to the upper room. Now you have to understand that when I say all the followers of Jesus, we think the 12 disciples, who were now 11 because Judas is gone. But really, it was a big group of people. Like, they were already running a church of about 150. Okay? They all go to the upper room where they had had the, the Passover meal together. And that Passover meal is the meal that we commonly refer to as the Last Supper. This is the, the meal where the Lord instituted communion. Okay, They were given the instructions to go and to wait, which they did, as, and they prayed and they fasted during that time. Right there, right in the very beginning, we can see one of the most vital elements of the community of believers is the ability to pray and to fast over a common goal. They continued praying and fasting for 10 days. It took 10 days from when Jesus ascended to when Pentecost happened. Because Jesus rose from the dead and he was with the disciples for 40 days. And Pentecost, the day the the Holy Spirit came down, that that basically means 50, 50 days. So it's 10 extra days past when Jesus left them. They fasted and they prayed before the gift that was given finally arrived. And the Holy Spirit descended on them. And that's an amazing part of Scripture that we're not going to look at in detail today. But that moment when the Spirit enters into not only the room, but into them is so powerful. It's really important for us to understand that the first community of believers did nothing to attempt to tackle the commission that they had been given by Jesus to go out into Jerusalem and into all of Judea and into the rest of the world, making believers, telling people about Jesus. That was their commission, right? They were supposed to tackle that mission, but they did nothing until they had the Holy Spirit with them. Now, I am sure that in the 10 days of waiting, some of the more you know, organized 
maybe structured disciples. You know who those would be in this room. They began to make a plan. They began to strategize and make and make a the most effective plan to accomplish this goal that they now had. I would probably not be necessarily one of those people, but I lean heavily onto those of you who are. <laughs> but they, they, they. I'm sure that they had conversations about. Okay, so what should be our next step? All right. And I wonder once the Holy Spirit came upon them and they received the Holy Spirit and and the Holy Spirit began to guide them and to and to leave them and to multiply them and to multiply their community. I wonder if those same disciples would have ever looked back and said, man, this is just how we planned it would go. I mean, it's like God knew we had it. Or more likely, they looked back on the roller coaster ride the Holy Spirit had taken them on in complete amazement of how it was only with God that they could have accomplished what they had. I mean, their group grew by 3,000 on the very first day after the very first sermon given by Peter. I mean, Billy Graham was good, but I mean, 3,000. One sermon. I don't know if I'll ever be that good, but here we go. I doubt, I doubt that was in the strategic plan. I doubt that was even in their imaginations when they were talking. It's so important that the church realize and understand that we must lean into and follow the Holy Spirit's guidance. Instead of expecting the Holy Spirit to just jump on board with whatever strategic plan we've come up with, no matter how perfect it looks to us. When church, when churches plan and they do ministry after seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance, they can move boldly and confidently forward into what they're doing because they know that the God of the universe is the one who is leading the way. Okay, following the development and the rapid growth of their community, the believers work together to care for each other, to, to take care of each other's needs, and to, to take care of the needs of the community around them continuing to share with everyone the good news of the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. With the power of the Holy Spirit gifting the believers, they were able to lead more and more people to the saving grace of Jesus. And with the instructions of people like Paul and Peter and John and the other disciples, the believers began to grow deeper in their faith and truly become the new creation's God desired them to be. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, Paul gives us an amazing illustration of exactly how the church should function. So we're going to read this together. So if you follow along with me on the screen, this is 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one body part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would, know, it would not 
For, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were not all, or if they were all one part, where would the body be? If it is, there are many, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the, contract, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we need are, that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. See, it's interesting that, I'm going to stop there for one second. It's interesting that Paul is talking about, I always find this part interesting, where he talks about the like sort of indescribable parts, or the parts that people sort of want to put off to the side. When you think about the church, every church has people like that. Right? And the Bible says, Paul says, we are called not to be ashamed of those parts, but honor those parts. It's a little little extra bit for you. Because that convicts me every time I read it. Because every, I mean, I'm a pastor, and so I know all of the different people in every church I've worked in, and I know the parts that, of each church that you feel like, hmm. and you always have to have a plan for, you know, if this person does this, what do we need to do? But you you never want to make someone feel like they're not part of the body, because that, that's what Paul says is wrong. God gives those people special honor so that they are just as important as the one standing behind the pulpit, right? Anyway, sorry, tangent. Here we go. If one part of, um, we're in verse 26, I'm sorry. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We are a family. If one of us is struggling, we all are struggling. We are so interconnected, or we should be so interconnected that we lift each other up so that we don't let that part fall apart, right? Okay. 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed it in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, um, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly, Desire the greater gifts. The word of the Lord. Paul wants the church to understand that it is more than just a group of people who all believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
but that it is truly a body. Now, you may have heard the term, the body of believers. From First Corinthians, I think it's obvious that we have to take that term body literally. It's not a figurative thing. It is also important to understand that this passage is part of a larger passage in chapter 12, where Paul has been instructing the church about the different gifts that the Spirit gives each of us. The Holy Spirit gives us all different spiritual gifts. And some of us have the same gifts, but most of us have different, different gifts. And it's the way that God has intended it so that we can all tackle different things in the church. Paul then leads into this illustration of the body. He wants us to understand that each of those in the community of believers are gifted and called to different tasks to make sure that the body functions properly and is thriving. Paul makes the point that talking, he talks about how individual body parts can't say that they're not part of the body because they're not another body part, such as an eye. Can't say I'm not part of the body because I'm not an ear. And just as importantly, the body cannot reject any one part of the body saying that it doesn't need it. We can't tell the foot, we don't need you. We can't tell the hand, we don't need you. Wouldn't a body look foolish if it was just a hand or an eye or, an, or a nose? And a body would struggle to function properly in the way that it's intended and created to if it was missing its eyes or its nose or its feet. The body only can function and thrive the way that God designed it and the way he intended it to, if all parts are doing their different parts that they were called and gifted to do. Okay, we've talked a lot about the body. Let's shift back to the church. Take that imagery and put it into the setting of the church. Each of you are the different parts. Each of you are all gifted, and, and you're all called to different functions. You're you're called to different roles, to different ministries within this body. And if we want our body to function properly, to be strong and to thrive, we must step into those different callings or roles. What happens so very often in almost every church I have ever been a part of is that only a small percentage of the people step into the different needs and roles within the church. And as a result, we often find that an ear is trying to fulfill the job and the gifting of a nose. Each church has different ministries and areas of service that are that are in need and and the right they're in need of the right people with the right gifting and the right calling to trust God to assist them to step into that need and to know that the Holy Spirit will use them to strengthen the body by allowing them to, or, and allowing it to thrive in the way that God designed it to be. And our church is no different. We need, we need willing people to step into our children's department and to work with us to strengthen it so that as God grows our body, we will have the elements in place to disciple all the children that God is going to bring to this church. 
That is a fact, and I'm sorry. They're going to come, and we have to have the people there ready to disciple them. I would encourage everyone to pray this week, maybe even fast, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts, to your minds, to lead you, to guide you to which ministry or role within our body you are gifted to help fulfill. And then I encourage you to seek out one of our pastors and talk to them about it. And we'll help you take those first steps into into the thing that the Spirit is leading you to be. As we've been looking at the model of the community of believers laid out for us in the Bible, I believe we've, we've been given the blueprint of what the true new church should look like. The church should be a community of believers who care for each other, who are striving to work together as the many different parts of a body work together as one to be a healthy, thriving church God desires it to be. However, so far we've been looking at the church from the way that the believers within the church should be acting, but we have not necessarily focused too much on the driving force of this church, of all churches. And as many of us know, and Pastor Vicki did such an amazing job, we're singing that song this morning, and I'm like, wow. It's like you read my sermon ahead of time. In the spirit, good. He does that stuff. Anyway, we've, we've mentioned already the Great Commission and how Christ told the, the believers, what their goal was, right? They are to go out into Jerusalem, to all of Judea and all of all the rest of the world, making disciples, telling them about the saving grace of Jesus and teaching them how to be Christians. That has not changed. Not at all. We are given the same mission. We are called to go out and to tell people about Jesus and his saving grace, to help them to know that they can be a new creation. And we're going to talk more about this next week as we look at what what I'm going to call the new community. But we can't really understand what the new church is without understanding that sole purpose. We are called to bring the broken to Jesus in order for him to heal them and to save them. When I was growing up, I I heard a parable once, and I'm going to share it with you. It's the parable of the lighthouse. So, uh, and it goes like this. On a dangerous sea sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat But a few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others from the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and efforts for support of its work. New boats were bought, and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. 
Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge for those that were saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds, and they put better furniture in, and they enlarged the building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as more sort of like a club. Less of the members were now interested in going out uh, going out to the sea on the life-saving mission, so they hired lifeboat crews to go out and do the work for them. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of sick, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had been from different cultures, and some spoke a different language, and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club, where victims of shipwrecks could come and be cleaned up before they actually came in to the rescue station. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as it was becoming unpleasant and hindersome to the normal life pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down. And they were told that if they wanted to save the life of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, that they could begin their own life-saving station down the coastal ways. And they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. Only now, most of the people drown. My prayer for every church is that they will never forget, or they never get so focused on their club and the different ways that they are served, that they forget the sole reason our community exists at all to share the saving grace of Jesus to the broken world and to the broken people. I pray that as members of the body of believers, this literal body, that you will constantly pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you in how you can be an active participant in the different roles and ministries in order to strengthen our church so that it will be healthy and thriving as God desires it to be. I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring people into your lives who might actually be shipwrecks or possibly are drowning in the craziness of the brokenness of their lives. And I pray that with the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you will step out in faith and confidence to attempt to rescue those people spiritually by leading them to the only one who can save them, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And finally, I pray that each and every member of our body 
whether you are a nose or an eye, a hand or a foot, that we will catch the vision of our mission as, as our body, which is to be a thriving, healthy place where we welcome, we love, and we tend to those who, Jesus, who need Jesus in their lives, no matter how God presents them to us. We must be ready to receive them, to share the good news with them, to begin to walk the journey God is going to take them on to become new creations, just as he did for each of us. We can't forget that we were all broken at the beginning. Now receive this benediction. As you go back into the busyness of your lives this week, remember that you are not alone, that you are part of the body of Christ. Remember that you are loved by an amazing heavenly father and that his son, Jesus Christ, he walks beside you through every up and down this week. Remember that the Holy Spirit is constantly guiding and encouraging you this week. Now, will you stand with me? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen.